so how's it going? Ah, it's going. It's going. Uh, I beat Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Nice. I know. I I understand that it's a long game in that there's like a million side missions and and yeah, like yeah. in content wise there's a lot there. Um, yeah. And I've been intentionally so it's very obvious what quests are mainline quests and which quests are like just like silly stupid things you do on the side. So I've been doing like like if you have to tutor someone. Yeah, yeah. It's literally it's like tutor me or I lost my math homework or like I, I need a new yeah. dress or you know some of them are are a little more legit than that. But anyway, I've been doing like like literally like ten silly side quests for every mainline quest. So I thought this is probably a pace that will you know get me a good. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll kind of finish the game and have done most of everything, and so I was totally not expecting to just suddenly beat it. I had no idea I was so deep into the game, although I noticed I had unlocked the whole map. So uh, yeah, I I kind of figured maybe I was uh, it, it could happen anytime, but yeah, it's just like kind of I don't know abrupt. I'll say yeah, it. Uh, I I remember the game overall just feeling kind of like what. Man, like, with with every design decision that they made and stuff, I I felt like it, it could have been better. And like even at the ending, like it just seemed very anticlimactic. Yes, to me. yes, definitely. And I I agree more and more, man. Seriously, like the the laws. Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> I I think so. On paper, it's kind of a. I can see why it would be kind of a fun idea. Maybe like you could it 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 spices up the battles, right? It's almost like if you're playing. If, if there's no judge system and there's more of a legitimate, uh, maybe story-based reason why something happens, like you you've wandered into this land where magic doesn't work because of some you know whatever stuff yeah. in the air, so you can't use magic in this particular battle or something. It's like I can yeah. see how that you know it's kind of interesting, a little twist that that battle will be interesting for that reason. But like I found as the game went on, the laws get more and more strict, and there was more of them. Yeah, and it was just like, uh, like I'd get in a fight with like fifty, uh, not fifty, five um, um, monsters. Like every person on the enemy team is a monster, and mm. the rules would be like, don't damage monsters. <laughs> it's like don't damage monsters, don't heal your party, no status effects. And I'm like, yeah. come on, like well, I literally can't. It, it, should, it might as well just say don't fight. Like yeah. um, what I have been doing every time I got one of those, like don't damage monsters or don't do any damage, is I'd like. Take, put my whole team that's capable of casting poison because when you cast poison yeah. on someone it doesn't hurt them when you cast it but every subsequent turn it hurts them so you could cast yeah. poison on everyone and not violate the laws and then just run away and run run into the corner while they like slowly yeah. get hurt every turn but when in addition to don't hurt anyone no status effects, no status effects <laughs> if you don't happen to have the law card that destroy that cancels the law yeah. you just can't do anything and there's like so many yeah. of these ridiculous like Ah, I don't know. And the, the worst law, I'll yeah. I, I feel like it, it's got to be just like some sort of a random system where it's it's pulling these things arbitrarily, and as opposed to a crafted thing where it, you're actually oh. supposed to have a strategy. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And it's I don't know. I think it, I didn't pay enough attention, but I think it's based on place because if you can't do anything and you shut the game off and then you restart it, and it's one of those missions where like you or it's a fight where the guy moves around in the on the map so you could do the fight with the same against the same right. people but in a different place if you right. meet them in the same location it's the same set of laws but if you go somewhere else it's different laws so i think it's it's uh locked down to the locations um yeah i yeah. wonder if it's like a random seed that's based on location or something maybe maybe uh, I, i'll uh, one one last note on this game is 
Um, the worst law in the whole game, the worst by far, in my opinion, is uh, I, I I don't know. I have the, the Japanese game. I don't know what it is called in English, but it's like no copying the previous person. Do you remember that law? <laughs> so like if no. if, <laughs> if someone so had, if like one person attacks, you're not allowed to attack. Correct. You have to wait. Like you're. It would have to be another turn past that next person before you could attack. The problem with all the laws, this one particularly, is that you forget them. Like when there's three yeah. laws and it's like don't do that and no like doing more than this much damage and no whatever and you you have them in your mind kind of. You, you kind of forget what the last guy did and so you attack and there you violated the law. And the penalties, sometimes it's like take 2,000 money, right? And it's like okay, I have like so much money it doesn't matter. And sometimes it's yeah. like reduce your character's level. I mean, come on, that's hugely different. <laughs> or, or like one of them one of them is like when you win the when you win battles you get AP points, right? One of them is like steal entire team's AP points. I mean, come on, sometimes I like accidentally use a potion and I forgot that there's some stupid law like don't don't do anything that ends in the letter N. That's actually a law. <laughs> and so my character just has nothing to do and is full power and I just think, well, if I use a potion I'll get experience. Use a potion um, you violated the law at the end of the battle. He takes all my AP. Uh, I started resetting the game more and more and more. So anyway, I'm done griping. I'm done the game. Yeah. Overall, the law thing was awful. There was a lot of weird things in it. I would say I I did enjoy it though. I guess despite everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there anything from the game in particular that you would take away and use as a mechanic in a game you were making? <laughs> Um, if you asked me that about or, the original Final Fantasy Tactics, I'd say a few things. <laughs> in this one, it's just the original with new mechanics that don't work, right? I think we, yeah. we uh, the world agrees with me there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's what I don't get is is there's so many people on Reddit and stuff that just claim that this this is their favorite game of all time, and it's like I just I I don't see it. I mm. I want it to appreciate it. Uh, obviously, I, I bought it and. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there were there were a few games in a row there that kind of made me uh, disenfranchised with Final Fantasy. Uh, oh, really? The, the, there was the the Final Fantasy twelve Revenant Wings as well, mm. which is like a weird real time strategy style game, I guess, on the DS. And I I absolutely hated that, and I I didn't care for this one. Um, I hated Final Fantasy eight and ten. No, oh, you uh, hated ten. Yeah, I I didn't like it at all. What about uh, X two? I didn't I didn't even try it. Oh man, that one was and that was my that one left a bitter taste for me. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing, right? Is like when I saw that this was the direction that they wanted to move in, where they're like uh, making sequels to that. Uh, I, I bought um, what Final Fantasy seven Dirge of Cerberus as well. Yeah, Cerberus. I don't know how you want to pronounce it. That one and uh, the Revenant Wings. So they those are the two. Uh, like they made that little spin off trilogy kind of around the story of Final Fantasy seven. Is that where they? Well, Revenant Wings is is part of Final Fantasy twelve. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it's like they really watered down the franchise, making all these uh, sequels and stuff, and then mm. like they went. Final Fantasy XI was an online-only game, and Final Fantasy XIII, yeah. just like, I was busy when that came out, but it got such abysmal reviews that it was just like, okay, I'm... Is that the one with lightning? hard to care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was that... And, uh, then, and then 14 was online, and it was like... <laughs> Subscription, it, yeah. I, I, that was a huge down period for me as well. I, I totally checked out from 11 till 14. Yeah. 
Yeah. Totally. I, don't know, I, tr- I remember trying 12 and I, I liked that. Um, a lot of people I, did. I liked, yeah. It was kind of the same world as the tactics uh, and tactics advanced uh, taking place in Evilist. Yeah. And it had judges and stuff, but, you know, they didn't use any of the completely broken mechanics of judges. <laughs> right. Uh, it was just like, you know, it was like a just a class of soldier or something that was in the, the empire or something. That's really funny, actually. You know, I, I knew that it was evilist or however you say it, but um, yeah. I didn't know they, I, I'm, I actually kind of can't believe that they put the judges in. That's really funny. They, they I mean, they just don't play the same role yeah. at all. It's, <laughs> it's like calling someone a samurai or something. Yeah, like yeah I but, see, I see. It's still funny. Um, it's a call out to like a terrible mistake in a different game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was. It's. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, enough about Final Fantasy tactics and advance and what. Well, sort of. I mean, uh, what we kind of wanted to talk about today was the the idea of uh, pre-rendered backgrounds. Uh, yeah, and I think which uh, which actually ties in quite a bit with Final Fantasy because they were. Uh, yeah, you have your prime example of a pre-rendered background in number seven, and and yeah, and of course beyond. But I think seven yeah, was seven, the eight, one. Nine, like, yeah, yeah. I'm um, really. I, I think. I think the in, whole PlayStation era had. A lot of exemplary games for uh, if you're a fan of pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's just because we grew up with Nintendo and Sega Genesis and stuff, but I I really loved the idea of these these like crafted 2D experiences. Right. Um, It it I was never bothered by the fact that like you couldn't rotate around stuff. Like maybe. I don't know, like, I, I was going to say, like, maybe the fact that it made it harder to find secrets and stuff, but even then, like, the, the idea of the original Final Fantasy four games uh, and, and Shining Force games and stuff, where, like, every now and then you could, like, walk through little invisible tunnels in the walls and stuff to find treasure chests, like, that, that I always thought that was, like, super appealing. Hmm. I, so, yeah, I mean, well, you, I guess, kind of... It's an entirely different approach if if they design the level such that like rotating it in a certain way suddenly makes it visible, I think, right? Like that's, yeah. I mean, you're going to just it's more likely to notice things than to find it through exploration. So I think it's almost a different mechanic in a way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I kind of I mean, it's a nostalgic period for me like the PlayStation era. Um and so I, when I think of pre-rendered backgrounds, I mean, I don't know. Do you see that a lot nowadays? I really think back of that to that era. There's very few. Like I've played yeah. a couple of indie games that are like that. Yeah. Like I think yeah. uh, I played Bastion recently, yeah. which which was all pre-rendered and, and looked nice. But yeah, uh, I don't know. That I guess that's part of what was turning me off around the Final Fantasy X era as well. Mm-hmm. It was just the, this move into complete 3D. Like yeah. I, I think ten the cameras were still kind of locked down and followed you like you couldn't rotate stuff. I, I don't remember being able to rotate stuff, mm. but they were like 3D environments. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the pre-rendered backgrounds really appealed to me as well. Um, I, for me, if I was to use uh, like a 3D background, I don't know. I feel like if it was a game that had a lot of like um, randomized stuff, or like, you know, uh, procedurally generated levels or something. It'd be kind of cool if it was like more maybe like grid based, and then they could just, they might as well just make it three D at that point. But what you're mm-hmm. describing, kind of with the crafted experience approach, which I think generally um, works better, uh, I 
it seemed like a great approach to me just almost in an artistic sense like if you if you play games like chrono cross or obviously mm-hmm. final fantasy 7 is the big example um i i think it looked really well uh, i think it worked really well and i also think especially at the time i mean 3d was kind of still uh, a young uh technology at least from my only raised on console games kind of point of view yeah. and it just was so i mean look at say the original metal gear solid i mean I very yeah. much love that game, actually, <laughs> but you know, I wouldn't call it a pretty game. No, compared to especially no, they they, they remade Cross. it on the uh, GameCube. I know, uh, yeah. Um, what's it and, called? And, uh, Snake Eater. Uh, Twin Snakes. No, no I think. Twin Snakes and Snake Eater is is a later. Yeah. Yeah, that was Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think even just once it moved into PlayStation Two, the the graphics seemed a little bit more manageable. Palpable. To, yeah. <laughs> palatable yes um uh, but yeah i guess that's part of what got me thinking about the these in the first place is uh, back at the end of december uh, i was playing parasite eve for the first time mm. um and uh, so yeah that, that's was released back at the same time as the final fantasy 7 8 and Hmm. I, I never, I just never gave it a shot at the time because Square Enix was pump, or I guess it was SquareSoft at the time was, or actually no, I think that was Square EA. Oh God, <laughs> they've gone through too many variations. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Parasite Eve was uh, Square EA, and that was at the same time as like Final Fantasy VIII and all these other big hits. And just you know, you're, you're uh, like a thirteen or fourteen year old, like you've only got so much money to invest into trying games at the time. There's fu- just so many home runs being hit. <laughs> it's funny now that when you say that, it's like now our big uh, bottleneck is time. Back then it was money. Yeah. You just, you know, never works out for us. Yeah. yeah. But that's what retirement will be for, hopefully. Yeah. Except by then I'll have built up such an immense backlog that I still <laughs> you, won't. You just won't feel it. like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, then Maybe it'll be yeah. health or something. You're, you're, you'll have terrible arthritis and playing games won't yeah. be enjoyable. Yeah, cataracts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a, so I, the one thing that I will say about the Parasite Eve, there were a lot of spots in that where uh, I remember like exploring like in a subway tunnel, for example, and you go inside a, a, a train car and there's like treasure chests and stuff that you can find. And they're just so difficult to even pick out from the environment because it's like this painted thing mm. that just fits in everywhere right so i remember them trying to fix that in like final fantasy uh, 9 maybe where they had like little triangles over top of every single treasure chest so that mm-hmm. <laughs> it was harder to miss them right um uh, i think 7 had something similar let me remember. Yeah, hit, you could hit select and it would like put little arrows above all the exits and stuff. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And there would be like little bags and stuff that would like glow every now yeah, and then or something. Exactly. The treasure chests and like the little bags or little special items would kind of shimmer a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Seven was, I mean, I don't know. You had to forgive them a little bit because I think it was their first foray into like a this kind of game. But the characters, like at least... As much as I hate eight, I, I didn't feel like the characters were out of place. Whereas seven, it was like you had these 
sometimes man, but sometimes beautiful pre-rendered backgrounds. And then you had like yeah. <laughs> these like glowing, super chunky. <laughs> yeah, super chunky polygon, like totally like wacko color characters that don't look properly yeah. lit at all. Just wandering around with, you know, I don't know. It was, it, it was uh growing pains maybe, but um, yeah, they, as they worked with it, they definitely got a little better at that eight being yeah. just an example. I never played Pairs yeah. of Eve, uh, so I you know it's actually really solid. Yeah, um, I remember at the time, and I remember it being popular, and I think I even remember commercials back when I actually watched TV and saw video game commercials. Um, yeah, and I just I don't know, like you, I, it was just yet another game in that similar vein from SquareSoft. Even I feel like that era, they were just churning out things, and I just didn't get to it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know how many action RPGs existed up until that point. Mm. Like, um, I imagine there was a, a bunch in the Western world, but uh, as far as JRPGs, I, I think that was a, a a pretty new thing at the time. And it it I don't know. It feels good. Like it feels largely like a Final Fantasy game, but mm. then it's got like these little actiony moments. Like you can you can dodge attacks by physically moving your character around on the screen. And, cool. Uh, and and you know I haven't played very many games that take place in like a modern time period, mm. and and it's it's refreshing I think when I do play something like that like it takes place in New York City and I think it took place in the current year of like nineteen ninety nine or something. Mm. And, uh, you know you're using weapons and uh, I mean you're using uh, like uh, guns and and. Uh, nightsticks and bulletproof vests right. and stuff is is your armor. So I don't know. It I I feel like there were I can't even remember what exactly the gripes were. Like I, I remember that there were, there was something about it that did feel a little bit dated, but mm. otherwise like I was playing it on my PSP and so uh the the hand painted backgrounds and stuff while they may not have looked too nice on like a 50-inch TV, they looked fantastic on this little PSP screen in front of me. Awesome, um, yeah. So I feel like it it holds up really well and is still a really good game to play. Cool. I can uh, I can relate a slightly less positive uh, anecdote about a um, uh, game with a pre-rendered background being ported. I don't know if you've ever um, played the Final Fantasy VII uh, computer port, have you? No. <laughs> it came out maybe, I don't even know, like literally like two years after Final Fantasy VII. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, yeah. PlayStation, the resolution was surprisingly low. I think it was like, it, it might have even been the same as the Super Nintendo, um, in, yeah, just in terms of pixels. Uh, obviously, it looked better. There was more colors. They had the 3D thing going on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they didn't have the weird sprite limitations. And you just playing it, you'd think it wasn't like that, but I, I'm pretty sure it had at least comparable. It wasn't like suddenly 1080p or whatever, right? I mean, this thing came out in 1994. Yeah, no, it, it, I just looked it up, and I, I think it's 240p. Yeah, so I mean, very, if not the same as Super Nintendo, very comparable. But um, uh, the the PC port, I mean, even PCs at the time were like, I think, standard 480 by 640 monitors. And uh, so what they did is they, they, like, cleaned up everything they could with, like, anything that was was 3D. So, like, the characters looked super high-res. The battles were super high-res and looked a lot prettier than they did on PlayStation. But the problem is, of course, the pre-rendered backgrounds were pre-rendered backgrounds so they couldn't they didn't do anything there which is i agree the right thing to do but it was just so awkward having this like this like super high-res block man walking around on like what looked like 
an old game screen kind of right yeah, yeah. Um, it was jarring and i guess that's one of the things about like if you were to port forward a uh, a uh, a 3d game you could probably just it'd be a lot of work of course but you'd, you'd redo all of the um the textures and whatnot and then you just yeah. have a higher res game right whereas a pre-rendered background unless they've saved the original artworks physically somewhere if all you have yeah. is that pixelated you can't image, them, right? yeah, you're kind of out of luck. You have to redo it, and maybe you could redo yeah. it and have it look very much like the original. I don't know, but um, I guess for this particular port, the obvious answer in their mind was just to take the the raw data and just dump it in this new game, and it really didn't work very well. So, yeah, I guess moving to uh, uh you said you played it on PSP. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what the res so, <laughs> resolution is, but maybe there was no well, issue there. Uh, I mean, I think a PSP res is still higher than original PlayStation. Mm. Uh, PSP resolution. Uh, uh, so I think. Oh, it's actually. Yeah, it's 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 about the same size, but it's widescreen. So. Uh, uh, so how do they handle that? Different. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just with the pillar boxing. Mm. The, the black bars on the side. I see. Um, so, you're yeah, sure. it, 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 you know, it, you're looking at it at its original resolution on a screen that's a lot smaller. So you're seeing yeah. uh, much better uh, pixels per inch, I guess. Yeah. So probably it actually looked better than the original version. <laughs> <laughs> um, almost certainly by the sounds of it. It's like playing Chrono yeah. Trigger on uh, the, the, uh, like the DS or something. It's like, I don't... Yeah. Did this game look this good? And then you realize it's like the pi- the pixels are so minuscule that no, it yeah. didn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's uh, so I don't know. I I miss that though. Like uh, one one set of art books that I've I've got. Like I I didn't end up picking up the the art book back in college. Someone had shared uh, a whole bunch of the concept art uh, from Final hmm. Fantasy Eleven. So I don't know where exactly that came from, but uh, I ended up eventually finding a book called uh, Kusanagi, uh, which I think is a design studio, but they've published a few different books. Hmm. Uh, so I, I picked up Kusanagi 4, which has a bunch of the original drawings from Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, and like Bouncer <laughs> and a couple other games. Yeah. Um, and I, I absolutely love like the art style in those, like it, like being able to go back and look at these illustrations and uh, it, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that it's only the line art for the majority of them, but still mm. like it, these are the exact environments that made it into the game. And, uh, I know. I think that's it, awesome. Honestly, static imagery in games in general. I, I, I mean, I like you can appreciate like cool illustration and stuff. And so when that, yeah. that is the game, it's not just like some concept art that they turn into like a 3d model and then that it doesn't port over, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's very cool. Even like, I feel like we go back to final fantasy constantly. <laughs> I'm not trying to, but yeah. um, I have like uh, this, uh, the final fantasy, what's it called? 25th Memorial Ultimania. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> but um, it's just like, I think you've seen the book or have the same book. Yeah, it just yeah. has like basically art artifacts from uh, the development of those first six Final Fantasy games. And like they have pages after pages of the monster art and you look at it and it's yeah. just illustration. It looks awesome. And you realize that is what <laughs> went in the final game for the monsters. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously they got pixelated and probably changed around or whatever, but 
it's as is, you know what I mean? It's not just like a concept yeah. art. It's like that image got pixelated into the final one. It's very cool to have that. So obviously as mm. games, um, you know, the graphics, the graphical uh, capabilities in- increased up to say the PlayStation era where the, it was probably, it, they could basically do that and make a pre-rendered background. I mean, it's just an extension of that same cool idea, I guess, to me. And again, yeah. I like you, I, I think, I think it, 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 wow, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more, it's kind of like it remains as a piece of art in the game, if that makes sense. Like obviously a a, yeah. a rent a three D background can be is art as well and so forth. But like, yeah. it's I, I don't know. It tended to be less of a crafted thing, so it's a different approach to a visual environment. Obviously, but well, I I mean, I feel like stuff like. Uh yeah, like if you look at any of the store, any of the shops and stuff that are in Final Fantasy VII, for example, like mm. each one of those layouts is a completely unique illustration, right? Yeah. Like they they didn't. It's it's not the same as the older Final Fantasies where you've got a tile set that you use to yep. to populate your environment, and and that's exactly what we do with modern games too. Like uh, when we were working on uh, Gears of War, like. You know, every time there's a barrel in your environment, it's not a unique barrel. <laughs> like mm. there's maybe six six different models of barrels that get repopulated around, and mm. there might be a little bit of procedural stuff going in the shader, but you know, it's it's an identical barrel every single time. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so you're totally losing that by by getting into this uh, asset type uh, mindset where you're quickly populating levels and instead of like crafting each thing into a unique. Uh, art scene. Yeah, no, I get you, totally. And I think another thing that's interesting is if you think of it almost like, say, again, going back to kind of how they make films, um, mm. y- the the viewer in a film doesn't control the camera angles, right? Mm. Um, which, again, for better or for worse, right? If, if they could, it might be a much more interesting experience in some ways. But since that is something that's static and the filmmaker has chosen what to do in each scene they can craft an experience with that, right? Like certain times, like there might be a scene in the film where like the angle is is such because, yeah. you know, maybe it's supposed to be ominous or menacing or maybe it's supposed to be pleasant or maybe you're supposed to have a feeling like something is very large so it's kind of a worm's eye view to something and so forth. And I found obviously with like the uh, pre-rendered background games of the PlayStation era, they, they use that somewhat, right? You'd be like in some frantic chase so they'd have like kind of a close-up and everything's like flying past you really quick as you run by um or it'd be like you're supposed to be in this vast city so the scene would be like you moving kind of depth wise uh into the tv if you will and you can move until your character disappears there's a tiny like tiny little thing way in the background so just that's lost as well right i i find um, yeah and like even like that that whole idea of like an establishing shot and stuff exactly I don't notice that very often where they change the scale. Like it's it's typically now you're playing stuff like Skyrim mm. where it's a first person, or you know you can wheel the mouse out a little bit and it's a, th- a third person, but you're still within just a few feet of your character. Yep. So. Yep. Definitely. Um, I, another point for me I find interesting. Um, of course, there's no this this maybe says less about pre-rendered backgrounds versus. 3d generated backgrounds or whatever and maybe just more about i don't know trends in general but i found as they've gotten to like i mean right now obviously hyper realism is popular and almost everything is like most many major titles are 3d or or first person or whatever there's just a tendency for everything to kind of look a little 
blah to me. Uh, you know, some games are just beautiful, but still, it's just it's just hyper realism, and it's impressive, but it's not like I guess artistically interesting to me. There's there's either a trend to be to to take less of an artistic approach, or maybe it is just simply more difficult in some way to do that with a 3D game. But like an example, I'll throw out. Whether you like the series or not, I know like it feels like everyone hates it. But uh, if, have you ever played um, Saga Frontier Two? I played whatever Saga Frontier was on the PlayStation. That's the one everyone hated. So one and two were yeah, both that's... on the PlayStation, and everyone played one and hated, hated, hate, hate, hated it. And then yeah. that was it. The series just went away in the West. But um, Saga Frontier yeah. Two which was a vastly, vastly superior game to the first one. It was like all the backgrounds were like this really cool watercolor kind of background. And your character, you, do you remember it? Uh, I remember liking the backgrounds of Saga Frontier. Like that was a large part of the reason why I wanted to try it was I, rem- I remember the artwork being very nice. But yeah, the way the game played itself, I... Definitely not your kind of game. Going back to last yeah. week's, yeah, flavor versus uh, uh, <laughs> mechanics. Um, I, I actually appreciated it. I mean, Saga Front. So Saga in Japan is a is a series, right? There's like Saga yeah, yeah, One, yeah. Two, Three, and then Romancing Saga. Yeah, that, was that the uh, Final Fantasy Legends on the Game Boy was actually mm, Saga? Wasn't it? Yes, I think yes, yes, that's correct. Yes, yes. So I didn't yeah. enjoy the original Saga. Actually, that's not true. Saga One was bad. Two was. A lot I liked of fun. two. That was the one with two. the the crystals and the different yeah. worlds. Yeah, two was a lot yeah. of fun, and three was really fun. One was weirdly bad, but two and three were a lot of fun. Yeah. So and then yeah. Saga, Romancing Saga on uh, on Super Nintendo. Uh, the, there was three games there. Those were really cool. They were weird, kind of, and they had a weird aesthetic. But anyway, Saga Frontier was definitely like the black sheep of the series. And it was the first yeah. one that was officially released as a Saga game in the West, so everyone hated it. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> Anyway, number two was, like I said, it was like kind of watercolory backgrounds, and it was very cool. And I think they could do that with a pre-rendered background because you just you paint this very aesthetically pleasing watercolor image, and then you have the characters. They weren't like polygons walking on top of it. They themselves were like oh yeah, yeah sprites. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, built to, to match that background, and it was a lot of fun. I, I thought it worked out really, really well. And I've, I haven't really seen a lot of examples of that, particularly um, with anything oh, okay. 3D of any sort. Yeah, the um, yeah, I, I would I would love to make a game that kind of looks like this. So the, the the two things that come to mind looking at this artwork right now um, is when they remade Final Fantasy Tactics for the PSP and the uh, the iPhone, I believe. Mm. Um, it's called War of the Lions now. Yeah, yeah. Um, they threw in a bunch of uh, cutscenes that were obviously not in the original. And they, they tried to make those all look very much like illustrations. Okay. Cool. Um, I, thought that, I thought that was a, a really cool thing to do. But my problem is is I, I have yet to see um, a 3D production attempt to look like 2D and, and really nail it. Mm. Like, I don't know. I've, I've never been able to get into cell shaded style that, stuff that, and, I, and I, I know yeah well, that was the closest stuff? thing i could think of no i wasn't continuing i was just gonna say yeah. like I, I that's for me as well like I, what was it um i'm trying to remember nino kuni was that yeah, yeah, that, that was the second one that i was just about to mention okay uh, um, i won't steal your thunder 
<laughs> Unless I just did. <laughs> no, I mean, it, that was the point that I was going to yeah. make is like, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a unique style. The same with Wind Waker, where they, they went in this clearly cartoony type mm, style. Wind Waker, right. Well, I, I would much rather see this stuff be actual 2D hand-painted stuff mm. like you lose so much of that texture of like brush strokes and stuff and absolutely and, like, agree absolutely. those decisions of where are they going to ink a line or make it thicker yeah. or thinner and stuff like a- anytime they try to procedurally just let the computer figure it out I, th- I think it it inevitably feels less um good <laughs> <laughs> less crafted but it isn't crafted anymore right have you played um yeah have you played okami uh, no, it's no. it's kind of it's I don't know if it if it I mean you might have the same issues with it but I think they it's almost like I guess to me as good as that's gonna get it feels like they really did take yeah. crafted two D kind of imagery and just plaster it on three on the three D in a way that that feels good I guess yeah. I mean they're going for that kind of very stylized like you're talking about where like the line widths matter and kind of all yeah. that stuff and so like a lot of the effects he uses when it's like it's obviously just like a 2d overlay that that yeah. and then the world is 3d but it, it's kind of built in a way that supports those little bursts of kind of 2d um i guess crafted backgrounds if you will and crafted effects um i don't know it's it's i like the game well, a lot it, i wouldn't say it's a failure in any sense like it's art style it, it might not perfectly achieve what you're describing but i thought it was yeah, pushing in that direction. Yeah, now that I, I I hadn't actually even thought of that game before we talked here. So, I guess that's like from an aesthetic point of view, we're both totally in in favor of the the handcrafted artwork style. Yeah. Um, but f- how do you feel mechanically? Like, uh, I, I guess we were talking about like how you can kind of treat it with a cinematic eye by like setting the camera wherever you want when you're doing two D stuff, but um, how do you feel about this transition into stuff like Kingdom Hearts, for example, where you know it's a, an action game and it's it's maybe a little bit less about finding hidden treasure chests and yeah. more about like just hammering on the action button to <laughs> take out stuff. Like, huh. do you think that sort of thing would work as well in two D, or would it just be like more like those side-scrolling beat 'em up games where? interesting question i had not considered you know i I think there's i think not enough people have tried now i say that as someone who who doesn't really unfortunately have the wealth of experience playing newer games (laughs) maybe so Mm. Uh, but i just i don't know i haven't i haven't necessarily seen it done too well um i i like that like you had mentioned indie games earlier and that there's like a lot more indie Mm. games now doing kind of the pre-rendered thing um i feel like at least exploration is happening there um and so maybe i should actually just get out and play a lot more of those games and and see it happen because i feel like from what I've seen, just with with uh, like pre-rendered backgrounds, it, it there's a consistent kind of game that emerges there, uh, and I haven't seen maybe enough um, kind of playing with that style to make different types of games. So, yeah, yeah, I might not have enough insight to have a good answer. It, I think it'd be fun though to to play with that more. I, I feel like certainly from the developer's point of view, it makes way more sense to make stuff out of 3D assets because it's like... Definitely, yeah, of course. Uh, like <laughs> all the fakery that has to go into making collisions happen with stuff that's just a 2D painting in a 3D space yeah. seems like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
Like I remember, I remember we were trying to do that when we were working on Super Hematoma. Like uh, I made like this little platform in the middle of like a, a water area. <laughs> like I was expecting to be able to fully walk around and then jump on top of and, and walk under it and stuff. And it's like uh, when you're painting it, it's no problem at all to just make something that looks like that but <laughs> it seems like you had to go through a hell of a lot more effort to to make that actually happen yeah i think mm, i don't know i th- I think so our approach was kind of weird too right like we didn't take that say if we had like kind of built out like an editor or something or not even necessarily yeah. an editor but just like a tool set that worked better whereas i was kind of trying yeah. to spin something up from scratch as we went along i guess um yeah. so it was it was there was a lot of I guess um, process issues that made that difficult at the time. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I even there, I don't have a lot of insight to be honest. I feel like that could have been done. Hmm. I don't know. I almost feel like it's less of a technical issue, maybe, and more of a like a design issue in in many yeah. cases, right? Like you we've all played a game where it's like you can't tell what you can jump on or what you can do right i feel like i've seen that a lot less in 3d games like your character if it's a first person game you look around you see stuff you can tell what's solid and what you can you can kind of generally tell the bounds of where you're supposed to be able to go uh, maybe more easily Uh, especially like where two game two i've seen a lot of 2d games fail at uh like kind of simulated depth if you will yeah. Um, I've seen games do it well, like in my opinion, say the Super Nintendo Zelda, where there really isn't actually any depth, but as yeah. a player, you're kind of, you feel like you're jumping off the little ledges and stuff. Um, yeah. And then you've seen it, I've just seen it fail where like I, I had no idea I could get to this other area. I thought it was part of the background or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've always found it, uh, I guess it, it all depends on the cameras. I, I hate trying to navigate around in first person games yeah uh, like like when they made the uh, the metroid prime games i oh, absolutely yeah. hate those because <laughs> uh, metroid to me is a, a platforming style game like you're you've you've part of the fun is getting up onto ledges and stuff and i just i hate trying to like look at the ledge that i'm trying to get onto while judging where my feet are that i can't see it all <laughs> Right. Uh, and so uh, for that reason, like, I totally prefer the 2D games because, like, you can tell exactly where you are and where you're going. Yeah, I feel that. I, I, I see that. It's almost, I mean, you throw Metroid Prime as an example. Even, like, early, like, I don't know about Doom 1, but uh, even maybe, like, Quake, yeah, yeah. if you played any of the Quake yeah. games. Like, they really felt like that. It was a lot of platforming, and it just, it was interesting, I guess, because it was, it was new, right? Like, I'd played a million 2D platformers, and here's a 3D platformer. But it's certainly... Yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel you. It's like less control kind of, and I think it's intentional, right? It's almost, it's like more like in real life where you have to look around and you don't have like yeah. vision. You can't see behind you essentially, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah. I, I know you haven't played it, but uh, Guild Wars Two, I think, actually handled that sort of stuff pretty well. Like they, one of the things in that game was they had jump puzzles. Okay. Um, so like on on any given map there'd be like all these quests and stuff you could do but generally there was at least one or two jump puzzles which it was just a part of the map that you had no reason to get to whatsoever Mm. but if you were exploring and just enjoying the artwork and stuff you could get to this and then all of a sudden there's like this big platforming section that you have to like try to get onto and because it's a, a third person 
game and you get to rotate the camera around like it's kind of the same way where you can see exactly where you're standing and, and where you're trying to get to and stuff and um i i definitely i think that was probably my favorite part of that game was just oh, wow. the 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 little jump puzzles that were of absolutely no consequence <laughs> awesome yeah uh, like i like you said i uh, i haven't uh, played it so i don't have insight it was that wasn't pre-rendered backgrounds was it no, those were all 3D environments. And, mm. you know, so every now and then you'd be trying to do one of these puzzles and it would kind of fall apart because mm. there was just no possible way that you could get the camera positioned in a, in a comfortable spot or something. But, right. Uh, Classic uh, issues. Yeah. It, it was. I always found it, I mean, going back to kind of what you were saying about Metroid Prime a little bit, I found it jarring almost when, like, a lot of these 2D game franchises went to 3D because... Yeah. And, I, I don't know. Maybe this goes again back to like. I, w- kind I of wish they had just made a new franchise. Exactly. But that's what I'm, I, I almost feel like maybe this goes back to again whether you're focused on kind of um, the mechanics of the game or the flavor of the game. From a flavor of sense, sure, right? It's the same characters. Mario's now in 3D. Link's now in 3D. Whatever. But for me, it just felt like a different game, like entirely, yeah. right? Like even say Mario 64. I really, really enjoyed I the game. That. Oh, you hated I it. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I. It was a fun game, but I absolutely hated the camera. Um, the ca- So, I don't know if you played... I, mean, I assume you played a lot of games from that era. I thought yeah. uh, you could take 10 kind of third-person guy running around on the screen games, and it had the best yeah. camera of them. I thought it was not perfect. Yeah. I was frustrated at times, but I... Other than, say... Yeah. I mean, say, Metal Gear Solid, I thought, did pretty well with the camera, but that's because they locked it in place, and the game allowed yeah, exactly. for that, right? Yeah, whereas Mario... 64 went for kind of like this fluid go anywhere do anything i agree it wasn't perfect i agree i agree but like there's so many games at the time that i just was ripping my hair out and throwing the controllers did you play a uh, goemon or what's it called mystical ninja on nintendo 64 no. yeah it was like mario 64 with a broken camera um just <laughs> like if you, beyond broken i'll say since you already consider the real one broken um yeah tail concerto I really like that game, but again, broken camera. I think it was like game companies yeah. just getting used to this new paradigm for them. Yeah, it was it was it was rough. I mean, computers were f- expensive back then. Like mm. doing these three D games was. Hard. You had like the Silicon Graphics workstation or whatever. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. For thirty k. Uh, what's, what's What's interesting? I guess we should kind of wrap up because uh, we're getting on forty minutes or so, but. Mm. Um, what was interesting is I just finished reading the um, uh, Console Wars book. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned that at all on the podcast yet. but uh, I knew you were reading it, so I don't know if it was podcast yeah. or outside of the podcast. Um, but, anyway. but yeah, th- that was on sale in January uh, for like two bucks. So I picked that up and, and read through it. And uh, I think it's one of the, the better books I've read, period. Mm. Um, it's, it's kind of written in this like fictional... Um, like storytelling way where you, mm. you know that none of the conversations and stuff could be quotes. Uh, but it, it gives you some really good insight as to what was going on with the rise and fall of Sega. Mm. Um, and consequently the fall and rise of Nintendo. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and and the, the reason I'm kind of think about this is just because of the mention of uh, the Silicon graphics and uh, the Mario 64. And one thing that I found incredibly interesting that I, I didn't know about Hmm. Um, was if you remember the whole uh, uh, snafu, for lack of a better word, between uh, Nintendo and Sony, where Nintendo kind of like screwed Sony. 
Left um, them hanging, yeah. Yeah. Uh, chain, well, yeah, they, they like, had this plan, and then they met, went with someone else and, like, didn't tell Sony until they were at a big event like E3, basically, and mm-hmm. they just, like, publicly announced that they were with this other company <laughs> after Sony had already announced the stuff that they were doing with Nintendo. Brutal, yeah. Um, so anyway, like after that, Phillips was um, the other company, I believe. Anyway, yeah, yeah, which so was apparently the time a bigger smack in the face because it was there was kind of this you know Japanese companies work together idea. So for them to to drop Sony and go with, yeah. I, I think Phillips is German or something to like go with yeah. this Western company was like. Uh. Anyway, continue. Well, so from from that point on, like I had always just assumed that Sony went directly on their own after that to make the PlayStation. Uh, there was actually a, a, a period of time where they were in talks with Sega. That's crazy. Are you serious? I didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah. So so after Nintendo screwed them, they started talking with Sega and or Sega of America specifically, mm. and they were like really close to making the Sega CD equivalent. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but Sega of Japan just seemed like it was the most juvenile company ever where they just like didn't want to uh use any sort of method that america was succeeding with like they just wanted to do things their own way and so they were like no we don't want anything to do with sony uh it it doesn't fit with what we want it's not going to work and america was like well why isn't going to work and they're like end of discussion uh, so, so the same thing happened again like uh once the the ceo at america was like okay well the sega thing or the sony thing fell through i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with something that absolutely will win 100 percent. there's no way japan can turn this down and they were in talks with silicon graphics and really so yeah, so they started uh, having a relationship and because Silicon Graphics was like, we've got this new chip that we've been working with in Jurassic Park and stuff. It's the cheapest thing on the market. It's the best thing on the market. Uh, let's work together. And Sega of America is like, awesome, let's do this. And they worked together for a little while and then they, they brought it to Sega of Japan and Sega of Japan is like, no, uh, we're already making our own thing. We're already making this uh, Sega CD and Sega 32X. Like, <laughs> we don't want anything to do with the Silicon Graphics stuff at all. Score. So what happened was uh, Sega the, CD. This, 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 yeah, like they <laughs> they made this really subpar product that failed and passed on these two amazing things. But I guess the American CEO, he was like so upset by this and felt like he'd wasted Silicon Graphics time so much that he actually passed on their contact between Silicon Graphics and Nintendo. Really? <laughs> so if it weren't for Sega, Nintendo wouldn't have had that connection with Silicon Graphics to end up making the N64 at the same time as the Sega 32X <laughs> and stuff was coming out. I'll have to read the book. I'll have to read the it's, book. It's a good, it's a good read. Uh, I assume it's like... It's like this is legit based on. I mean, they're not yeah. just using hearsay and slandering. No, it's 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 like the guy was actually interviewing like, oh, okay. you know, all these these top people <laughs> from different companies yeah. like, and, and gives them special thanks and there's photos of them and stuff. So, awesome. It's uh, it, it's interesting because yeah, you don't you don't know exactly how much of it is accurate just mm. because it's written like a story and not a history textbook. But right. 
Uh, it's it's pretty amazing to see stuff awesome. like that. And, I, I love those stories. Um, I guess one last anecdote for me. Um, it's, uh, what is it, February 19th today, recording time, anyway. Um, yeah. And uh, there was an article on Gamma Sutra recently about the rise and fall of Dreamcast. I don't know if you saw it. No. Um, I think the actual article is from, like, 2009. Like, it's a really old article. They just kind of pulled. They do that sometimes. It's weird. They, like, yeah. pull out an article that's 10 years old and just kind of slap it on the front page. But anyway, it was... Uh, uh, following the um, rise and fall of the Dreamcast, and it was like listening to you now talking about um, kind of Sega CD and all that. It, it was uh, <laughs> it just it's the same yeah. story. It's the same thing again. They were they were talking about what chips to use and how to do this and how to do that, and they were going to go with um, the uh, 3DFX chip, I guess, which was kind of the preeminent technology at the time and just yeah, yeah. you know really on the horizon. And that was uh, by all measures the right thing to do, apparently. And then they kind of <laughs> they kind of not if you read this book. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Okay. Well, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> but anyway, they they bellied up on the idea and went with some somewhat obscure uh, chip exactly. made by NEC, and it was kind of right. again preferring the the you know fellow Japanese company's product and so on and so forth, and that really screwed them in the end because then people didn't know how to develop for this chip and it was complicated and blah blah blah. And they were saying like the sales in the Dreamcast were excellent at first, but then everyone realized they couldn't work with it, so it just tanked and no one really understood the business decisions coming out of Sega Japan so same deal yeah yeah it was it was really interesting recently reading that uh, Final Fantasy 7 expose or whatever you want to call it there was a massive article I'll I'll link to in the blog oh man a mini novel man yeah it was uh, it was super interesting reading that and seeing like how they were struggling developing on the N64 and and stuff like the Oh. I guess the, which takes us full circle. Like that was the whole point of. <laughs> that's why it was so difficult making these games back then. Is just the technology was so expensive and no one knew what they were doing. <laughs> yep, and that it does take us full circle. It's funny they went with the pre-rendered backgrounds with FMV and stuff instead of going yeah. with like some sort of 3D approach, and they couldn't even do that on Nintendo 64 just because yeah, you know, data size limits. Yeah. All right. Well. uh I thought the, uh, I guess I guess we haven't really made any headway as to which format's better, but uh, I, I think that's the the best part about the whole games as art conversation is letting everyone decide for themselves yeah. how they want to communicate their game. That's it. That's it. Um, I, yeah, I I I wouldn't even I don't have an idea specifically in my head of what's better. They're both kind of limiting in different ways, and uh, yeah, I'm very. I, I would love to, to see about. more. I would love to see more of the the pre rendered stuff being made. It's, oh, absolutely! It's disappointing to see yeah. the lack of it. I, I think and reasons. I mean, it's it's easier, I guess, to go with. Mm. I mean, you, if you load up like any of these engines, like Unreal, you could pretty readily make, <laughs> you know, like a three D yeah. game. Obviously, your assets would suck if you didn't have a good team working on that or whatever. But uh, to sit down and make a pre rendered game would be a step out of the convention, right? Yeah. Which is why it's a. Uh, uh, seems like a, a indie thing more now, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, what's your plan now that you've finished uh, Tactics Advance? Are you gonna you got another game lined up? Um, I've been actually kind of dabbling in various games, just trying to find something to land on. Uh, so I I played a little bit of FDL. Uh, I actually played a little bit of uh, Final Fantasy IV: The After Years. Um, <laughs> I hear that's really bad. 
Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to make a sequel to that game. <laughs> like, I wanted to make a story about uh, Golbez and company coming back to Earth and having to, to save it. And, and, and this, uh, this game is a, kind of a, a lesson in why it's better that you didn't get that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> As I played it the whole time, I just wanted to play Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> and I remember saying Final yeah. Fantasy IV is fun. Yeah. It's... I'm playing like the PC port and it, it just feels like low production quality first of all and it also yeah. feels like literally like just there's nothing creative or interesting about it it's almost like they literally just made more Final Fantasy 4 but with like that kind of like cutesy look that's I, I don't know that seems to be more popular with their older game with their remakes of older games now or whatever yeah and I don't know it's okay uh, they use all the same music at least so far in what I've played which yeah. is I, I wouldn't say good at all but just for me to play this game for like 10 minutes and see what it's all about is was kind of fun i guess <laughs> um yeah. i don't know i might play ftl uh i think i'm gonna finish um gargoyle's quest i'm like at the very end uh it's just kind of harder because my super nintendo is on the rocks and we have yeah yeah, you're I was, saying. yeah i'm playing uh the super nintendo zelda with my wife so i'm afraid to pop the game out because i don't want to erase yeah. it <laughs> so yeah. uh, i'm waiting on her to finish that before i hop back into that game although i could pull it out of the super game boy and play it in a game boy but anyway <laughs> I, we'll see what i do yeah yeah i might just put a bunch of time into ftl i like that game a lot um yeah it's you know. it's great i put almost 70 hours into that game yeah uh is this your first time playing it I well, I don't know how to answer that. I I bought it a long time ago and played it for like an hour, and then I played it at friends right. for like an hour. So it's my it's my first time sitting down and thinking, okay, let's how can I go through this it? game and yeah, play it. But it, I'm not like discovering it for the first time. Yeah, you know, FTL is very much the kind of game I would always want to make. And again, that goes back to like mechanics, mechanics. But it's just fun yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. It's it's all meaty and there's weird things you can do and all kinds of little quirks. And it's just like a strategy ish real time game. That's a lot of fun for me. So in all likelihood, that'll be my next uh, game. I dump a lot of time into. Nice. Yeah. Um, How about you? So I I, f- I finished playing Mighty Number no. Nine. Yep. Um, which thoughts in the end? I think it gets way more grief than it deserves. Uh, it, Hype man. Not- Hype does it to everything. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's game of the year, but I think it was a solid game. And cool. you know, if I were to put it in line with all of the other Mega Man games, it, it wouldn't be my least favorite game. It'd be above eight. Uh, it, it would definitely be above eight. <laughs> I personally would put it above six and five. I liked uh, five. I liked five a lot. Six. So I, I don't know. I, I thought it, it was a pretty uh, mediocre Mega Man game. Mm. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately not as good as 2 and 3 was. But, mm. uh, you know, legitimately I think 2 and 3 were also partially just good just because when they were released. Yeah, uh, that might be fair. But yeah, I, f- I finished that one. Um, and uh, so I bought the, the the Humble Freedom Bundle. Yeah, so did I. Um which came with like a billion games <laughs> yeah so, yeah it did uh, so there was one i i was like organizing this all into my uh spreadsheet of like yeah, how long does it take to beat each game and mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. and so i sat down on friday night yeah and found myself with an hour and i was like okay um one of these games time frame looks like i can beat it in an hour so why not give it a shot even though i know absolutely nothing about it um and it? yeah, uh, you start and finish it in an hour and six minutes. Um, 
and it's it's a great experience. I I wouldn't recommend it at full price, which is like eight dollars Canadian or something. But uh, as part of this bundle, I I'm really happy, and uh, I think it's worth trying. Cool time frame is what it's called. Yeah. It was part of the Freedom Bundle? Because I bought the Freedom Bundle yep. and I don't see it here. Unless it was something uh, added later. So Yeah, they actually added a bunch of games later, like 20 oh, games geez. or something. They All added right. after the fact. So. <laughs> I'll go back in and, and put even more Steam keys in. Uh, yeah, so I bought like 40 games as that that I didn't already own. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Uh, I was actually yeah, pretty yeah. happy to get the Witness out of that bundle. Yeah, that was that was the main reason I got it too. Is I was yeah. kind of interested in getting that, but... Yeah. Not paying full price for it. Uh, Indeed. So yeah, uh, time frame was pretty good, and so now the the one that I'm trying to play at home right now is Gunpoint. Gunpoint, cool, cool. Um, which which is pretty cool. Uh, Gunpoint, I put maybe an hour into. I thought that was pretty cool. I like their story. I guess like I watched. I think it was a GDC talk yeah. by the creator. Yeah, and he was just going on about how he discovered emergent gameplay and kind of his approach to making the game and so i played it and it's a lot of fun this is kind of uh it's a it's the kind of game i like just this quirky weird kind of take on on side scrollers or whatever right so yeah yeah cool well let me know what you think i that one's high up on my list I, it might be like a, a game or two away before i get to it so. okay well i'm about a half hour into it right now so cool Supposedly, I'll finish it in another two and a half. It's that short? Wow. Okay. Well, I yeah. <laughs> look, I just looked, and I'm one hour in, so I, I guess I'm. you don't have to let me know what you think after all if I'm halfway done it. <laughs> Although, um, I've unlocked one out of 42 things, so I, I don't know. Uh, you, your times might be a little off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I guess that's it for this exciting episode of the uh, Vegabond Gamecast. All right, brother. As always, I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs>